Welcome to Life's Lemonade Unfiltered. We are two moms who are neighbors and friends doing a podcast from the closet. In this podcast, we're getting real about life, kids, womanhood, and all the stuff in between. So buckle up, buttercups, and join us on this roller coaster. Welcome back to Life's Lemonade Unfiltered. This is Yesenia and Kiara, your hosts. We just finished recording a very intense interview. It was intense. intense. It was intense. Before we recorded, we were like, I don't know if intense is the right word, but it's the right word. So, yes. So we had um, Marissa Presley, who is a longtime friend of mine, but it's like interesting how the intersection of our lives have gone. But she is a domestic violence prevention education specialist. So she, for a long time, worked for Laura's house, and uh, she worked specifically with teen dating violence violence, and pre- the prevention of it. So Marissa has uh, over 18 years' experience as domestic violence educator and advocate, specializing in relationship violence, child abuse, sexual assault, and trauma. She is a regular guest lecturer at numerous universities, including Pepperdine, Concordia, UCI, San Diego State University, University of California Redlands, Cal State Fullerton, Cal State Long Beach, just to name a few. And she speaks at so many um, junior colleges as well. She also works abroad for the U.S. Embassy in Mexico, and she has experience facilitating youth and adult support groups. So now we're going to hear from Marissa Presley. And just before you listen, this is a little bit of a trigger warning. If you or someone close to you is experiencing a domestic violent uh, relationship or has and is still not comfortable listening listening please skip this one um but i hope you'll join because she has a lot of amazing perspective perspective and just guides guides for us so um i encourage you guys to listen with an open heart and to just feel this woman you know share her her own life and her professional life and what what it's done and she also mentions resources if you are in a situation to get help so Yes. So stay tuned. And thank you so much for tuning in this week. How are, you, how are the both of you today? We're good. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we're here. Um, yeah, I don't know. Should we do a little info before we get in or like, let's do, get to know each other and then? Oh, sure. What do you want? I don't yeah. know. We can just dive right in. Huh? <laughs> let's do it. Oh, I, I'm just so excited because, okay, so I last week I said we were going to have you on and I said, because I said, February is domestic violence awareness. And she's like, no, that like today, she's like, that's in October. And I'm like, why did I think it was February? But it's teen dating. So I'm like, okay, I got, I got part of it, right? Good. Yeah. October is the official, right? October is for domestic violence and February is for teen dating abuse. Okay. I like the term abuse better than violence, actually. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're, see, this is, she's going to educate. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start off um, today. Let, well, let me see. We're going to edit that part out. Hold on. I, I went to work today. I don't normally work on Saturdays. So I went to work and then I rushed back home. Had some time. Yeah, you work today. I do miss you cutting my hair. That's for sure, man. You, you are so good. Thank you. I don't know why you think I'm so good. I feel like a pair of scissors are a pair of no, <laughs> no, you're you're like rock star good. You're so good. That's why you have faithful clients because you're so good. That is very true. But I feel it's because they love me, not because they. 
I don't know. I love my hair so much. If you messed it up, <laughs> I wouldn't keep coming back. That's true. Even if I loved you. Yeah. One time, um, Yesenia cut my hair in her living room. I was going to go on the Dr. Phil show or Good Day LA or something. And she, I'm like, oh my God, do something. So she, she ended up doing my hair in her living room. That's I right. think when I first met you, we walked to school with the girls and I told you my hair horror story she did. before I even knew you were a hairstylist. Yeah. And I was like, I will never let someone that I know because it ruined my I relationship. Know. And I was like, do I tell her or not? Yeah, like, you were like, <laughs> I'm a hairstylist. I was like, okay. <laughs> I love it. That's great. But you uh, so. I know, I know. <laughs> okay, so um, let's see. Here we go. All right, ready? Yeah. All right. <laughs> ready. Deep breath. Oh. Okay. All right. So welcome back to Life's Lemonade Unfiltered. Today, we are so honored to have uh, Marissa Charlotte Presley joining us to educate us on a really big topic. But before we do, I want Marissa to tell us who she is and what brings her here, like to this moment of information that she's going to share with us. Oh, I'd love that. Thank you, both of you. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Yesenia, I knew you before you were you. I knew you when you were in, in your mommy's womb in her belly. And Kiara, it's a pleasure to see you again. So I also want to honor this beautiful sacred ground, which we are all standing on because it's sacred. And I want to honor all of you for joining us to talk about this very, very taboo, dark topic, which is Dun, 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 domestic violence, right? And it's like this term that gets thrown around, domestic violence, but I'd rather you all think about it as domestic abuse because when we think violence, we think punching, kicking, slapping, but it goes way beyond it. By the time it reaches that level of physical violence, there has already been weeks, months of other types of abuse, abuse which we will discuss here today um, as a group. But who am I? Well, I'm really passionate about what I do. I love my jobs. I have I have multiple jobs and I love every single one of them. I'm also an activist and I like to get the community together and organize community events to raise awareness on the reality of how far can domestic violence go if we don't pay attention to it, if we don't really say, wait, what this is what's happening in this person's life is very serious. Oftentimes when we know about it or we suspect about it, we take a step backwards and say, well, it's really none of my business. I shouldn't get involved or what I hear. This is what I hear mostly. She probably likes it or I don't know why she just doesn't leave. I mean, if it was me, I would never put up with that. So she must be there because she likes it. So we're going to take all these myths. We're going to talk about them. What are the real barriers in leaving an abusive relationship? Not only like my opinion as a professional, I've been doing this 18 years. I can't believe it's 18 years. That's crazy. So crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So I've been actually in many different branches of the field of domestic violence. I've been in um, like entry level answering the 24-hour crisis hotline. May I help you? I loved it. I thought it was the greatest job ever. I actually left a very high paying job working for the federal government to go into nonprofit, which I was like, whoa, whoa, this is entry level. But the gratification that I personally received was enough payment. And then I quickly moved up into that agency to be a case manager. That meant that every single victim survivor that came in through the shelter walls, I was in charge of finding them housing at the end of their stay with us and resources in the community, whatever those resources were. 
I loved that as well. And then um, Dr. Nadia Islam, who is one of my bestest friends in the world. She's mentored me throughout all my career and, and then some. She saw something in me while I was case managing and she offered me a position to go to high schools and speak to youth. And I'm like, uh, no, I don't even enunciate properly. And I'm too, <laughs> I'm too rough around the edges and I'm like unfiltered. Like, yeah, like when you all said unfiltered, I oftentimes don't think before I speak. So I don't think I'm the right candidate, but thank you for offering me. Offering me. <laughs> You're like, thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. And yeah. then she's like, you need to give me a list of the reasons why not. And I gave her this long list and she went off every check. Well, we're going to work through that one. We can get past that one. You, We can learn about that one. And the first time I had to do a public appearance, I freaked myself out so much that I made myself physically sick and I couldn't do it. The first time I had to be um, like, make a video, I was like, take one, take two. Take That's kind of how we are with the podcast. It's like, <laughs> holy shit, like, is this really happening? And why are we the ones here doing it? Yeah, well, you're doing it because you have a voice and it matters. Right, exactly. But so Dr. Nadia, I really, so I wanted to like, first I wanted to find out like what led you on this path because obviously like to be able to do something that's so heavily charged um there has to be a catalyst for you to want to be yeah there has to be a a motivator for you to be involved in it so what was that for you yeah so when I was working for that federal government job that was very high paying and you know I got to buy my own condo and I, and I had a, a little extra money and I was traveling, but something was missing in my life professionally. So I made a list. What population would I like to work with? And domestic violence has always been a big one for me because I come from a long, long her story of violence. I was conceived through violence. I grew up and witnessed violence. Most of my life, it was all about violence, violence, violence. And it was watching and witnessing my father brutally, brutally beat up my mama regularly. When he wasn't punching, kicking, or slapping her, he was making sure that the verbal language that he used against her was very degrading and humiliating. And that went on up until I was about 15 years old. So that's a long time because my brain is developing. And so I'm learning this is the way women are supposed to be treated. And this is the way love looks like. And I'm also learning that, well, I'm not learning this, but what my, what's happening to my brain is that, and this happens to every single child's brain. The brain is the part of the body that is um, the, the organ in the body that is developed after birth. Okay. So we are already born with our heart developed and our lungs and everything yummy, but our brain develops after birth and it develops, guess what? Based on our experiences. So because my experiences were mostly of violence, there's this part of of our brain that gets triggered and it gets triggered often. And it's called the fight or flight response, right? You all know about that. It's like there's a bear, but there really isn't because we're not in the forest. Or the (laughs) door is locked. What do you do? (laughs) We just experience that. Yes. You experience that fight or flight. That means adrenaline, cortisol is going to start pumping. Our eyes, our our eyeballs are going to get bigger, right? We're going to start sweating. And that adrenaline is awesome. I love adrenaline so much. If there's a baby trapped under a vehicle and I need one arm to lift up the vehicle and another arm to pull out the baby. Yeah. But on a regular basis, 
I realized that it's causing a lot of health issues. Right. And have we, you have you sorry, have you heard of The Deepest Well? Yeah, I love it. It's one of my favorite books. Right. So that was one of the first books I think that I read on child the adverse effects of adverse um, adverse childhood experiences. Experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's where they get the ACE scores from. And it was it was like eye-opening. Oh my gosh. I was driving listening to the audiobook and it was like holy shit, I need to pull this car over because I felt like someone was constantly like knocking the air out of me because <laughs> yes. when they went through the the 10 yes. questions, the list, mm-hmm. I scored 7 out of 10. Ooh, that is a big score. Yeah. That's a huge score. And, and, it, and then it made sense. And then like you're talking about how the brain, you know, develops, then, you know, it affects the telomeres and like it's just so crazy when you get it's down science. to a scientific level that it makes sense why I feel fucked up sometimes. Yes, I mean yeah. we, we must be. We have to be, right. in your words, fucked right. up. Right. If we grow up and witness violence, there's. Well, they say too, like I've heard the say or the the research that says that children have fully formed their personality and the core of who they're going to be by the time they're five, which is crazy because most people, you hear them talk about it and they're like, oh, they don't like, they're not going to remember anything. But that's like those memories that you don't think they're remembering are forming exactly who they're going to be. Exactly. It's crazy. So since you know the statistics, what are the statistics saying or proving that if you grow up in in an environment like you did and I did, what are the chances that when we get older, we will assimilate what we saw? What are well, percentage? that's a great question, but I don't really like statistics, right? Because I'll tell you why, because those are the numbers that are reported. And because this, if we're talking about like, oh, how many people die from smoking? Give me statistics because those, we can just go look at the medical um, information. But most people, even in the most darkest of the darkest shadow, don't report domestic violence because there's shame, there's embarrassment. And if you're a male victim survivor or identify as a male, there's stigma. Who wants to be the poster boy for domestic violence? Nobody. nobody. So I, I don't like to give statistics, but here's what happens. If you score four or higher on the ACEs, you are then, I think, two, um, two times more likely to end up in an abusive relationship. But here's the thing about domestic violence. It's like having a family heirloom, but that it's not really an heirloom. It's more like a, a, a curse. A curse. There you go. A generational curse. And somebody just said, hey, welcome to the family, Yesenia. Welcome to the family, Kiara. Welcome to the family, Marissa. Here you go. And it's gifted to us. We don't want it. We don't want nothing to do with it. But we start to learn really early on, this is the way it must be. And we are carrying, Yesenia and Kiara and myself and most of your listeners, we are carrying that burden that wasn't ours to carry in the first place. And it shows up in our lives. It shows up in the relationships that we have with our intimate partners. It shows up with the lack of trust. It shows up with what we endure, what we put up with and what we allow. And I don't use the word allow as in it's the victim's fault because it is never the victim's fault. In domestic violence, it is always the perpetrator's fault, the person who harms the batter or the aggressor. So it's not our fault. 
it's it's almost like you know the man box have, have you ever heard of the man box theory where where all little boys get this box and it's inside the box is boys don't cry and man it up and suck it up and and um como se dice um or the patriarchal Yes, yes. yes. Okay. You're supposed to have a lot of women and sleep with as many as you want and drugs or alcohol, and you're supposed to be athletic and strong and brave. And you're also hope, supposed to be homophobic. And if you're not, then your own peers will police you into coming back into the man box if you want to be a sensitive boy. So it's it's all part of like socialization and gender role expectations, right? But Witnessing, for example, if you watch at home, mommy and daddy, or mommy getting yelled at, or daddy getting yelled at, because it's not an argument. I work with batterers. Okay, so I right now I'm working with men and women who have harmed their intimate partner, have gone to the court, and the judge has said, "Okay, you won't get jail time, but you're going to have to do a year of classes once a week for two hours." So I'm working with these individuals, and. Part of the, the the entire program is to take accountability, but part of what they be considered a rehabilitation program. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And they're supposed to take accountability by not victim blaming. Okay. By not minimizing and by not justifying. Okay. And it takes. It really takes a long time for them to do that because. Well, I feel like a lot of these people, like especially in the last few years, the word narcissist gets thrown around like. Everybody, yeah. everybody <laughs> anything is a narcissist. And yeah. I think scientifically, no, true narcissists cannot be fixed most of the time. Okay. Um, so what do you think, working with all of these people, are they a bunch of narcissists? Or do you really feel like what you're doing, you can, it's just a product of their childhood and they can start to realize the wrong things that they're doing? Do you, what do you think the percentage of people you work with who are like, nope, never going to change. This is just who I am. Or people who are like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like we, I can work on these things. Yeah. I can, I can tell Kiara pretty early on when they sign up into the program, like I, I you know, I, on my notes, I'm writing sexist, um, machista or toxic masculinity, um, not taking accountability pretty early on. And the, one of the first questions I asked them when they, when they joined the very first class is, I'm going to ask you a question. It's a yes or no answer, but don't forget, I have your police report right in front of me. So try to answer honestly. You're not being honest with me. You're being honest with yourself. Do you have a history of being jealous? Uh-huh. And most of them say no. Okay, not every single person who is jealous is going to be abusive. That's not what I'm saying. But one thing that they, a lot of them have in common is that they're very jealous because domestic violence is about power and control and control so they're yeah. going to want to control everything she does right so percentage wise there's not a lot of research done on the batter intervention program because research is expensive right but i've seen um i've seen changes in them and you were trained to hear the way that they speak, the language that they use, how they present. They have to do homeworks. They have to talk about the the incident that brought them here. So I get to hear them. So you're having to almost fish out more of the emotion that they're feeling behind their actions. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell do you what. Do you see any of them have like come to Jesus moments? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, and at the end of the day, they're human beings as well, right? 
But I'll tell you what I do see a lot. And if I had to do like my own, like my own little study and what number should I put in it? I would put a high percentage of them, if not all of them, grew up in domestic violence. Again, that cycle has repeated, it's repeating itself. But they have now the opportunity and a lot of them genuinely want to be good husbands and good fathers. They do. And here's the nature of domestic violence. It is a taught behavior. If you read, if you read anything about it, it's going to say it's a learned behavior. I don't like to call it a learned behavior. I'm, I love, I love words and I love language. I think learning is like your choice. Like I love to learn about something. Yeah. Exactly. Yesenia. Yeah. So when we teach it, we put the responsibility on the teacher, mommy, daddy, grandpa, grandma, foster parents, adoptive parents, who are our caregivers that are teaching this behavior. You know, when you look, when, when we watch on the news, Ray Rice, Chris Brown, Johnny Depp, many abusers, they were taught that behavior. But the wonderful thing about this is that we can unlearn it. We can now learn new ways. For example, we teach techniques to take a time out, stop, pause, take a deep breath, oxygen in. Hold it, feel your lungs, release. Okay, go outside, go take a walk. How long do you need? We talk about that and it's a process. So a year, it's a long time to really get to know these. Oftentimes I have some of the batterers say, um, I'm the true victim in this case. And I have the police report right in front of me where, you know. (laughs) Where does it say that you ended up this way? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, I says children, yeah, a lot of them were. Now, what age do you recommend that we start talking about this publicly? Because I know that you were really involved in the teen dating violence, but like, is that by junior high? I feel like that's almost too late because by then you've already seen so much. But then how do you like and then I and then as a mother, I worry like how young is too young, you know, like but then again how many five-year-olds are already witnessing that. So they know what you're talking about. They just didn't know it was a thing or was a bad thing. You know, like I grew up in a home very much like that. And I just didn't, if somebody had come to my school talking about it as a kid, I probably would have felt a lot of shame because then that's when I would have realized it was really bad. But by the time I got old enough to realize, oh, this is something I need to keep hush hush. I was I mean, it was like, if you ask any of my childhood, you know, classmates or whatever, if they thought that I was in this home, absolutely not. I was happy. I was a good student and I wanted to please. And I, but maybe those were just like, did I learn to cover it up that early? You know what I mean? Absolutely. You did. You learned to cover it up. When do you appropriately bring it up or how do you do that? I have an answer, but I'm going to ask you a question first, both of you, Kiara and Yesenia. Both of you have children, right? Kiara, you have children as well. Okay. So at what age did you, your children start watching um, Disney movies? Oh, like one. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. That's the age. As soon as they start watching Disney movies is the age to start talking to them. I had a conversation um, with Gavino, Gavin, my grandson, he's six years old and he's fabulous and I adore him and he thinks I'm fabulous and he calls me, but he calls me Bonita. Why which didn't is- he think you're fabulous? Mm-hmm. You are. Fabulous. <laughs> and we, um, you know, it's not my role. My role as a, an abuelita, a grandmother is not to um, 
discipline, but I also have a role to um, engage them, both my grandchildren, in a way that's healthy and show them a healthier path than what maybe they've been learning through socialization. So we actually watched Beauty and the Beast. And I said to myself, this is not going to be, I have a window tattoo here. This is not going to be a window of opportunity for me. This is just going to be me enjoying some popcorn and a movie with my grandson. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and then I, you're like, but I'm Marissa fucking Charlotte. <laughs> I was like, mm, mm, mm. oh my goodness, just biting my tongue. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. He just wants to watch a movie. He spoke up first. So I'm like, well, here's my window of opportunity. <laughs> I hope she marries him. Oh, oh, I know. And I put it on pause, right? That's the window of opportunity that we all have. And I paused it and I said, you know, Davino, I hope she doesn't marry him. But why not, Bonita? And I said, well, he's aggressive. He's violent. He's abusive. He holds her father prisoner. He holds her hostage. And look, he just broke all kinds of things in the house. That's not a healthy relationship. And then he says this, see, this is a six-year-old speaking. And that's why there's no age limit to talk about violence. He said, yeah, Benita, but he changes. Uh, right? So wow. then, right. Like, yeah, he changes when he gets what he wants. Right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh. So there's so many opportunities. I mean, you don't have to go far. You just have to stick to, um, um, como se llama, the little sirenita, Ariel? Little mermaid, yeah. Mermaid. Uh-huh. Well, I feel to- like I've done this with my kids where it's like people have to understand that having these conversations um, don't have to be so intense. So like big. It doesn't yeah. have to be. But I feel like I do this with my kids already. I've always compared how they treat people to how – um, my husband and I treat each other. Yeah. And like constantly, I'm always like, if my daughter like would hit someone, I'm like, do you ever see us doing that? It's not mm-hmm. okay. Like, mm-hmm. and um, obviously not every parent can have that right. conversation. No. Um, but mm-hmm. I do think like, it's like, if you're setting that example, then you're the greatest role models for your Absolutely. children. And I am constantly comparing how they should treat people to the people that are closest in my life mm-hmm. and how I treat them. Um, but it doesn't have to be like a serious conversation. No, it doesn't. You grow up and you get married. Don't let a man hit you. Like it doesn't have to be <laughs> right. And I know. Maybe they don't want to get married. Come on. I, I, I love that about you, Kiara. I think you're doing a great job. A lot of parents, um, um, what did you do? Laguna Hills. Did you do Laguna Hills high school? Yesenia? Yeah. Is that what you want? Okay. So I used to visit Laguna Hills High School and I used to go to inside the health classes and I used to talk to students and give them information. Okay. And then I would get invited to speak to the English speaking parents and the Spanish speaking parents, English speaking parents, five, six, seven would show up. Spanish speaking parents, 70, 80, a hundred would show up. Wow. Yes. And so one time Spanish English speaking parents, I asked one of the mommies and I said, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm just comparing to the Spanish speaking parents. Why do you think there's such a difference in attendance? And she said something interesting. She said, we just don't want to believe that it's happening to our kids. We think it's happening to other kids. And a lot of parents, both English speaking, Spanish speaking, it don't matter what the language, ethnicity, where they come from, identity, gender identity or sexual orientation, ask me this question. Hey, Marissa, how will I know if my kids are in an abusive relationship? Because my specialty has been teens. And I always say what you said, Kiara, do you watch what I do? 
How is your relationship today with your intimate partner? Because your children, they're a mirror. They're going to mimic that behavior, right? Okay. Have I, have I worked with teens who have been abused, brutally abused? Yes. And their, their parents, um, the child's parent was in a healthy relationship. The abuser's parents were healthy. Yes. That doesn't mean that every child who abuses came from an abusive home because what's happening is in their circle of friends, they're dictating what's acceptable and what's not. So if in their circle of friends, it's acceptable to call a woman the B word, they're going to do it, even if mommy doesn't get called the B word. So we really must look at how many of your children's friends do you know their names? Not only did I know my, my, my children's names, but my children's friends spent time in our home. Mm-hmm. Our children, my, my, my children's friends came on outings with us. I knew their family's names. I knew where they lived. My son, Rainbow, most of his friends had a key to the house, and I had to buy extra twin-size <laughs> mattresses to lay on the ground because they didn't want to leave. <laughs> right but that's the as a parent i feel like that's our goal is we want our house to be the house yeah. that all the kids come hang out at fill the uh, fridge fill the fridge and they'll right. be <laughs> exactly yeah so that's the age you know what a great you want to talk about sexual assault sexual abuse with children just show them sleeping beauty that's uh, it and then when you get to the kissing yeah. part where the beautiful princess is asleep and the prince comes over and kisses her paws uh, Okay, this is against the law. We don't do this. We don't do this to men. We don't do this to women. I am like so mind blown because I have not even correlated that in my own brain. Yeah. Oh, I show that all the time because you can ask even adults, what's consent? And right, people, and they don't know. Like, uh, I'm like, okay, tell me three elements about consent. And people are like, blah, blah, blah. Whoa. Okay. So here's a great window of opportunity where we can say, okay, this is sleeping beauty. Okay. And Gavino, this, you, we don't do this. Okay. Mijo, you never, ever, when they're drinking or when they're under the influence of any drugs or they're sleepy. And then you show them the, you know, the tea consent tape where sex is like making a cup of tea for somebody. They want a tea right now, but they don't want tea later. Don't mean they want tea. Don't give them tea. <laughs> You know, if you we're gonna have a lot of conversations in this house. <laughs> you went through the trouble of making them a cup of tea. You boiled the water. You poured the milk. You put the sugar in, but they don't want it. After all, don't make them drink the tea. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. We're not having these conversations. No. We really are not having these conversations. No, uh, but, but, but like yeah. But like Yara said, it's because like you know most parents aren't willing to. I mean, they can't even say that. I mean. And just on a normal day-to-day experience, I think, like, just checking the tone that we speak to our our partners in, like, I check myself constantly. Now I feel like I'm so much better at it than I was in the beginning, you know, but um, it's just, and I I notice it, I check myself because I see my kids use a tone that I don't like, and I'm like, oh, they are learning that from me. I got to knock it off. But I think too, like I've heard before, even if your children see you get into that where you have a tone, like you can't all avoid that. Right. But also letting them watch the reconciliation or the figuring it out. So big. It's like the, we didn't take it too far. We got into a heated moment, but then also watching the talk through and the, the healing of it, because how are they ever going to learn that part of it too? Like, it's okay to get mad at somebody and like get a little worked up and walk away and come, you know, and have that interaction and express your feelings. But then they also 
Like if you're hiding that from mm-hmm. them, they're not learning both sides. They're not That's learning true. how to do mm-hmm. it appropriately. And they're also not learning to come back together and talk through it. You know, yeah, having, then, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Yes, so growing up in the house, you know, when you see that as your example and you don't see the reconciliation, then you just think that that's just how, so it just, yeah. everything gets swept yeah. under. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as a child experiencing that, you're just like, Oh, this is what I just do. And so I noticed that that is a trauma response to me where I'm like, I'm done talking about it. I'm done because I never saw it, it finish, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so when I actually moved out of my home as a teenager and in with my sister, because you know, I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, my sister and her husband were the first examples ever I had yeah. of healthy, what healthy communication look like. And I would see them get into disagreements, but I also saw them resolve it. And it was like, oh my gosh, that's, that's an option. Like, <laughs> you know, like I, it, what? It's a it's a really, thing in a healthy relationship. Right. Like I didn't even know that there was anything different. And well, you're not alone. A lot of kids have no role models. Everybody's a role model, whether you're a positive or a negative role right. model. It's a team. You're absorbing no matter what. And yeah. a lot of kids don't know what a healthy relationship is. Even adults have no clue that that can even be possible. Well, right? you know, so- when I went to, um, after I left my ex, I went to Laura's house for mm-hmm. um, first for service. It was, it was actually just for me, like, I need to, I just need to know where to start. What so, is Laura's house? So Laura's house is an organization that Marissa worked for, for how many years? 10 years. 10 years. And that's where you were the teen dating. Yeah. That's where I did most of my teen dating abuse. Yeah. I started there. It's, it's a nonprofit. It's well, I had a- always heard that you were working in nonprofit, but I never knew what you were doing. And I walk into the building and I see Marissa walking down the hallway you remember this moment? Because I remember it. Like, Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And she says, what are you doing here? And it was like one of these moments where I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Should I be? A, what, 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 how do I feel? Yeah, I didn't know how to feel because I didn't know I was going to know anyone there. And it was already like a very raw moment. So I was Absolutely. like, what do I do? But at Laura's house, they had um, this program called the personal empowerment program. Mm-hmm. And it was a 10 week long course. And every week was a different topic. And I have to tell you, every time I walked out of there, I felt like I got rolled through the mud. <laughs> <laughs> took me a week to mm-hmm. process everything. It was so great. Every week had a packet, a really yeah. in-depth packet. And we had to go through it with other women. And for one, for me, the first stigma that was kind of like, uh, balanced out was the one that I thought oh, it only happened in Mexican households. Mm, that was the first time I had ever, ever Asian women, Middle Eastern women, white women, you know, like it was across the board and it was old and I was the youngest and it was like, you were the youngest in that group. I was in that group. Yeah. And it was just like, it finally hit me. Oh, this happens to everybody. And then it, then some of that stuff starts to dissipate the heaviness of like, it doesn't just happen to Mexicans and it doesn't just happen. It's not just to me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that was the first time I ever felt like some, a little bit of weight was lifted off, but you know, going back every single week, it was like confronting a whole aspect of not just my relationship that I had just left, but my entire upbringing, 
you know? So it was like how, so when we got to the parts where it was like the very end is like when you start to date again, you know? And it was like, it felt like such a far away thought, but also it was like, if it feels the thing that stood out to me, it was, if it feels uncomfortable, it's probably a good thing. (laughs) Right. And that was, that was, that was probably a really life-changing class for me to take. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. So glad. And, and, you know, that moment in the hallway with you, it didn't happen just with you. It happened with so many people. You'd be surprised from our, from our neighborhood, how many people I saw coming through those doors. Wow. Yeah. You weren't the only one and you would be surprised how close you knew these people that came through the door. And sometimes I would see them in the restroom and they would be like, Oh, what are you doing here? And I'm, Oh, I work here. Oh, okay. And then I would have to go and, you know, it's okay. It's confidential. Don't worry. I'm not going to put it in the newsletter for the neighborhood watch. You know, (laughs) we have to promise confidentiality. Otherwise it would be, otherwise it defeats the whole purpose of everything. It would come through those doors, right? Because there's so much shame. It's so embarrassing to be a victim of this crime. This is a crime. It's against the law. There's a civil code against it. Mm -hmm. But we as a society, we have normalized violence. Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say with the yeah. movies, you know, like you you said, if the friends are okaying it, it goes beyond the friends now because you've got social media, you've got these movies and video games and everything depicts women being objects and lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like too, like even just growing up when we were younger, there's like the, oh, the boy's being mean to you. That means he likes you. Oh and God. we just had to deal with that last year or maybe it was this year. It's I think been a it was long this year. year with my daughter. And it was like, he's picking on me. He won't leave me alone. Mm. He's really mean. And then, oh, look, he brought me a present. And oh. Um, I, yeah. oh, the, I put her in the car and we went for a drive. And I was like, we do not accept gifts from people just because you like the gift. And they're apologizing to you because they mistreated you. Absolutely not. It was like the second time that we'd been in this cycle. And I mean, she was nine years old and I'm like, we're going to, we're going to nip this in the bud right now. (laughs) I said, do you think daddy comes home and yells at me and then brings me flowers and it's okay? No, he does not. We're not doing that. Like, and, but it's crazy how normalized it is when they are that young it's like well clearly oh, the boys being mean to you like it's okay that just means mm-hmm. he likes you. And it's like in some ways we're telling these little girls like it's okay for them to be mm-hmm. mean to you that's how they're showing you they love you as long as they give you gifts afterwards yeah you just said the word cycle and there's the cycle of violence. you just literally described the cycle of violence created by dr lenore walker the mm-hmm. cycle of violence has stages Stage number one is honeymoon. Oh, cuddling, making plans for the future. Ooh, butterflies in the stomach. Ooh, I really like this person. Stage number two, tension starts to build. Agitated, short-tempered, slams doors, slam cabinets, eyebrows connect, moodiness. Stage number three, the explosion. The words and the name calling and the put downs and the humiliations and the threats and the grabbing and the pushing and the shoving and the spitting and the throwing things and breaking belongings, the strangulations and the sexual abuse. That's the explosion. And then we go back to stage number one, the honeymoon, the reconciliation. You've used that word, Yesenia. Eddie, I'm sorry. I will never hurt you again. Please forgive me. Give me one chance. I promise to change. Look, I'm going to get some help. You know that lady you all were talking to, Marissa Charlotte Presley? I'm going to call her. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to go to Kanga management classes. I'm going to go therapy. I will never 
You are describing exactly what happened in my relationship. Yes. Now, not every single domestic violence relationships falls into this cycle of violence, but it's very familiar to a lot of us. What happens is between the tension building stage and the explosion stage, what's the victim doing? Walking on edge. I know that. Yeah, making sure not to say or do anything that will trigger the abuser. What will trigger the abuser? The victim survivor starts to learn the triggers. That's why when you live in an abusive household, mommy says, okay, kids, um, everybody, um, get ready. Daddy's coming home. Um, Be good. Don't make any noise, okay? Be good. Because they're preparing for the explosion. But what happens in these relationships is that the gifts, the flowers, that honeymoon starts to fade And now you only get tension and abuse and blame. If you were a better wife, I wouldn't have to hit you. If you were a better husband, I wouldn't have to hit you. If you just do what I say, I wouldn't have to hit you. Why did you not do what I said? Why did you make me hit you, baby? Right? And it goes on like that. Then society in general starts to blame the victim. Well, I don't know why she stays. That's victim blaming. Saying to a victim, I don't know why you stay is blaming the victim because you're essentially telling this victim, if you just leave, the violence will end. Will it end? No. And then that leads into what happens when women leave and how often the abuser will come and physically, I mean, a lot of time that's when homicide happens, right? That's when homicides happen. Not a lot of time, but according to the FBI, this is not my opinion. It's not somebody blogging about it or vlogging about it. FBI is telling us this based on research, data, statistics, black and white numbers. When a victim of domestic violence who is female identified in the United States of America decides to break up, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. It's over. Walks out the door within the first 72 hours is when most of them are killed. What's the chance of that happening? 75% chance. If I told you, hey, Kiara, if you park your car there, there's a 75% chance it's not going to be there when you return. Would you leave it there? 75% chance? No, that's a high chance. You wouldn't leave it there. But check this out. This is the FBI still. If the person you are breaking up from has access to firearms, your chance of being killed just went up to 500% chance. I know. Yeah. Just so all you know, like all your followers and your viewers and your listeners, um, Kiara's eyes just went really big. Okay. So here's the question. Who has access to firearms in the United States of America? California is a little bit tougher, but you and I, all of us today could get a firearm if we wanted to. $50. That's all it would cost is US dollars, 50. That's it. So when I'm doing presentations and I'm at, I'm at a university level and I'm walking out, there's a line of students waiting to talk to me. Many of them just want to thank me for coming, but many of them want to disclose to me. And here's what I'm listening for. I'm like red, um, red flag, red flag. This is what people have said to me. I'm afraid of my boyfriend. I'm afraid of my husband. I've never had a, a man say, I'm afraid of my girlfriend. I'm afraid of... That doesn't mean women don't kill and women aren't capable of killing. But this is we're talking about a man's issue right now because 90% of all of the homicides, men who identify as men are the ones that are killing. 
Okay. And if we look at the history since we started recording mass high school shootings, it's only been one female identified in all the history, her story of killings. Okay. So this is a man's issue we're talking about. But when somebody says to me, let's say I'm at Santa Ana College, Pepperdine University, and somebody says, uh, 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 and they look around, you know, to see if anybody's listening and they get really close to me and they're like, hey, uh, Miss Marissa, I'm really afraid of my boyfriend. Woo, 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 sirens go off in my head. And I should also be afraid of their boyfriend because if I'm going to be a part of helping them escape, if you meet somebody like Yesenia who has broken up, left an abusive relationship, that's not just called a breakup. That's called an escape. That's escaping. So if I want to help somebody escape, I also need to be careful with what's going to happen to me. So I usually find the professors who invite me into these classrooms, they already know this is going to happen because it happens all the time. There's not one single class that has ever ended with nobody wanting to talk to me. Yes, really. I mean, and I have like multiple people. So when I was at Laura's house, one of the things I loved about Laura's house is that they, they actually said to me, Take your time. If somebody wants to talk to you, there's no rush. So I learned quickly that I couldn't do seven presentations a day like I was in the beginning. I did three because in between it was, okay, um, let's go to the teacher's lounge or let's go to the library or the cafeteria and talk and do a safety plan. We have to safety plan in order for there to be a safe escape. You, you want to talk about podcasts? Listen to this podcast called Dirty John. I don't know if you ever heard it. Oh, oh I watched, the, I watched yeah. the series. Yeah. 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 That, I, I, when I was going through a, okay, so I am a domestic violence advocate slash counselor. I am recognized in the community. I am a leader in this. And when I was going through my own domestic violence with my partner of 20 years, my daughter Jasmine was listening to this podcast and it scared her. And I'm glad it scared her because one of the things I do when I'm safety planning with someone is I scare them. I give them facts and I show them pictures of women like Alejandra Hernandez from Irvine, Irvine the safest city in the United States of America. Well, it wasn't too safe for her because her ex-husband, John, shot her dad in broad daylight while she was on break. She was on break from her job in a childcare. Okay? It wasn't too safe for her. Okay? So when we're looking at how can we help someone, we have to tell them the reality of their life being in danger. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of um, things that are abusive behavior that people don't kind of know. brush off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like I've seen this so much too, like, especially in our community Facebook groups where people can post anonymously. There's yeah. so many women that are like, I'm stuck here because I have kids and I have no job and yeah. he's taken all my money and he's taken away my car keys um, mm -hmm. and then I see a lot of like, well, he only does this when he drinks, like it's not all the time. So what are some things that you see that are like, no, women wouldn't say like, he's abusing me, but it is still abuse because I feel like it's not a physical lot. abuse, but it's something else. And it's like, it's leading down that road because I feel like there is a big, huge split down the middle where it's like, that's like, he's not he's watching every single penny you spend that's abuse. And then there's like a whole other side of women who would be like, that's not abuse. So you know, when you, when you talk about like red flags, if I can look back at my relationship 
and think of the first red flag I had that was a big one was three months in. It was three months in and it came in the form of a tattoo of my name. And I was like, oh, why did you do that? (laughs) Yeah. Why did you do that? Yeah, huge red flag. Yeah. That is Yeah. But now I know that. I I mean, I still had that reaction. Like, why would you do that? I didn't realize how significant that would, that was the start of the rest of it. But yeah, if you ask many women, they wouldn't be like, that's abuse or that's a- It's so romantic. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, the more you know, (laughs) like, yeah, those are things that normally you would point out and they would be like, oh, like, nah, it's nothing when it's something. You know, this, this, um, when you asked Kiara, like, what would be some of the, we're looking at red flags this, this last week during class, we talked about emotional abuse and a lot of the clients were like, well, can I get arrested for emotional abuse? Right. And it's like, yes, there's so many of these that you can get arrested for. But when somebody uses a silent treatment, they, you know, they give you the cold shoulder that's emotional abuse. Okay. Or when they give you, like when they twist your words, they play mind games with you. That's called gaslighting, gaslighting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. which when, you got- there, when there was an actual word for that, I was like, I know <laughs> this is what that is. Isn't that great though, that we actually now have, vocabulary. Words. Yes. yeah, we have words for that now where in the past so we didn't have words for that lying to you is another huge one, you know, manipulating you, um, shifting blame, but gaslighting will have to, you have to invite me back to do a whole topic on that because gaslighting, I love too that the, Oh, there's a word for that because that's the one type of abuse that is so, uh, it's so systematic and it's so difficult to pinpoint. And you actually need a best friend near you saying, Wait, what? Because it's there's so much confusion around it. The the mind games are see in domestic violence, the person harming you is not out of control. Oh my god, he must be really out of control. No, they're in control, working on an agenda. The agenda is to control you, to control where you're at, who you're with, who you're talking to, where you've been, what took you so long to get here? Why are you dressed like that? Let me see your phone. Who's that person on social media? How do you know them? Where do you know them from? How long have you known them? Are you sleeping with them? Oh my goodness. And this is every day because domestic violence is about power and control. It's about gaining power and control over the victim, but maintaining it. So it's not like only on Sundays. No, it's every Every day. Yeah. And what happens with red flags, Yesenia, you said something interesting earlier. Like if I would have known, you did know, but you didn't know that you knew. How do we know in our gut a feeling? We just talked about that. I was just thinking that there are probably people listening to this who are like having a funny feeling and then they're like, "Eh," but like, it's not, it's not hitting all the points here. It's like some emotion is being evoked, but you're shoving it back down. And so how do you take that tiny feeling and justify completely getting up and leaving the situation when it's not full blown yet? Because I feel like that's like, that's where it needs to stop is like, you get that tiny little feeling. And it's like, but 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 like, it's not all of these big things. So where what do you what would you tell someone who's like, has that tiny little feeling in them? That's like, oh, one thing you said kind of sparked an emotion, but not all the things mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you go from there. 
we justify. So we see a red flag, boom, red flag, but we turn that red into pink or orange. Or like you said, Kiara, we justify it or we make excuses for it, okay? And here's, 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 you, you love books. I love books. Here's a book. It's called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. Just Google him, find him on YouTube and watch one of his lectures, The Gift of Fear, because this is where your, all of your followers and listeners are going to give themselves permission to get that feeling, get that sense and not push it away or reject it, but allow it. Okay. One of the things that happens with the gift of fear is that it is gifted to us so that we are able to recognize when we're in danger before the danger actually happens. It's, in, it's, um, it's como se dice, like that gut feeling, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. biological. Like your body's going to respond whether you. Yes. Your body's responding. If you're getting ready to go on the best date of your life and you're doing your hair, you get diarrhea, that is your body right. yes. telling you, <laughs> you get don't the go on this date. <laughs> you're nervous. No? Yes. And it's not that kind of nervous. Like, oh my God, like happy nerves. No, it's like, uh. Like the sinking pit. We don't give we don't give ourselves permission to believe that one thing happens to us. We, um, we're at a party. Somebody walks into the party and immediately we have the gift of fear kick in and we're like rejecting this person. And then we say to ourselves, but Marissa, you don't even know him. God, you're so judgy. You don't even give him a chance. No, the gift of fear already told you be fearful of this person. I, I have a friend. Her name is Nancy. Nancy's boyfriend doused her while she was sleeping at age 19 with two gallons of gasoline and with the flick of a match he set her on fire okay on fire were there red flags yes many of them many red flags yesenia just talked about a red flag that's a huge red flag if the person in your life is moving too quickly if they're already saying i love you look it takes 10 almost 10 months for us to carry a baby to full term 40 weeks Give yourself at least 40 weeks to carry a relationship to full term before you actually say, I love you. Wow. That's a really great timeline. Like, yeah, people do not do follow that. I didn't follow that with Will. No, I think it's but but by Will I had already been broken and unbroken. You knew knew what all the flags were. (laughs) Yeah. I knew (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we're really all all of us are broken at some point. You know, we're all been we've all been harmed by somebody that's supposed to take care of us starting with our mommy and daddy right and see what happens when mommy and daddy harm us is that we don't stop loving them we still love mommy and daddy we stop loving ourselves and then we start to self-harm and then we start to put ourselves i put myself in so many dangerous situations that i am surprised that my daughter and my son still have a mom and that my i actually my grandkids still have an abuelita because I put myself in dangerous situations and I also went from one abusive relationship to the next, 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 because I didn't have anybody around me to show me Mm -hmm. what a healthy relationship was, you know, what's a healthy relationship. Let's go ahead and tell your followers. The healthy relationship has three very important elements. Okay. One element is if, if we had Aretha Franklin here, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. 
<laughs> find out what it means to me. Thank you. Oh my God. You Girl, made- I can't we- find the <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm in it. <laughs> she was like, yeah, girl. Wow. Yes, Yesenia. Find out what that means to me. Because yes, opening the door for an old lady is being respectful, right? The, the way you listen to someone when they're speaking is respectful. But in an intimate relationship, respect goes hand in hand with admiration. Because when you admire someone, you don't ever, ever want them to see that ugly side of you, that little monstrous side of you, you put them up. I don't want you to put them up in a pedestal that's really high and when they fall, it's going to crash. I want you to put them up in a pedestal equal to how you feel about yourself. If you are feeling about yourself, I deserve to be in a healthy relationship. I deserve to be respected. Put them in that level, respect and admiration. Number that's two. beautiful uh, frame of reference is to right? how you visualize it. Yeah. Yeah, because you don't want to put somebody up here so high that you're like looking up to them. No, you got to be equal. And then number two in a healthy relationship is trust. Don't trust someone just because they're talking pretty to you. Anybody can talk pretty. And all of us, every single one of us wants to hear, I love you, baby. You're beautiful. Woo! There we go. (laughs) And because we've been harmed and we hear that, oh my goodness. That's why a lot of us, we go with the first relationship when we're 14, when 13, that says, I love you, you're beautiful. Now, you know, stop wearing um, pants and start wearing skirts and no more lipstick and da, 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 chapstick, you know? And we start changing for that person because we want to be loved so much. Every human wants love and every human doesn't want to suffer. So we start to become submissive. So number one is trust. And how do you know that there's trust in your relationship? Your partner's not interrogating you, questioning you, and then blaming you for things you didn't do. But with trust also comes honesty, right? So that goes hand in hand. Number three, I know Yesenia, you will not guess number three, and Kiara, you won't either. Nobody guesses number three. I don't know. I, I could be in an auditorium at UCI with 2,000 students. I could be in national television, and nobody guesses number three in a healthy relationship. Do you guys want to guess? Communication. Okay, so if this was a game show, what would I? <laughs> what would I? Because I, I'm thinking respect, trust, and what's the next big thing that really makes or breaks a relationship? Um, loving yourself. Okay, so for both of you, <clears throat> big X's on the game show. The question. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> the game show. No. Okay. So I what love is, what is three? communication. Communication is great, but what if you have? What if you're dating someone, okay, first of all, if you're dating someone of the opposite sex, we communicate different. Biologically, brain-wise, we communicate different, okay? What if you're not communicating with somebody assertive like me? I am very assertive. I can tell you my needs verbally. This is what I need verbally. But what if you're communicating with somebody on the spectrum? Will the communication match with your level? No. So communication that's something that you're going to learn from each other with the respect that you have for each other, right? So so we, we want to leave communication out as the healthy one, okay? And then, Kiara, what did you say? Loving yourself. Loving yourself. I love that one because people often say, well, if she loved herself, she wouldn't be in a healthy relationship. No, because then you're putting the blame on the victim, okay? All of us love ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning and brush our teeth, okay? right? We love ourselves. We just learned in in a not not very healthy way that i have to give others more than i give myself okay okay 
So number three starts with the letter S. You want to give it another try or should I just tell you? I'll tell you. Yeah, tell me. Safety. Oh. Yeah, everybody says that. Even if I'm in a, in a large room, there's this like echo. You know what it is? It's like, it feels like too obvious. Yeah. Why, why is the too obvious answer not okay to say? I know because we haven't been, we don't talk about this because this is the topic. Right now, this is groundbreaking. What we're doing is talking about this. Yeah. What kind of safety am I talking about? I'm talking about, of course, physical safety. If you're, if you're driving and you get lost and you um, eyebrows connect, that's okay because I feel safe with you. I know that that anger, it's okay to be angry for Pete's yeah, sake. Right, it's an emotion. I, yeah, I know you're not gonna turn around and punch me in the face because you got lost. I also know you're not gonna leave me in a dark alley because you don't like something I said. That's physical safety. Mm -hmm. But there's also emotional safety where I know you're not gonna put me down, embarrass me. You're not going to um, make fun of my gender, put down my gender make fun of my gender. You're not going to harm me emotionally, mm -hmm. right? But also there's sexual safety where we are giving each other consent mm -hmm. to kiss, to hold hands, to hug, to have anal, vaginal, or oral sex, right? Mm -hmm. So sexual safety also means you're not going to poke a hole in the condom after you've told me that we're not going to have a baby. Mm -hmm. You're not going to pull, pull my birth control patches off my arm. That's not sexual safety mm -hmm. you're not going to tell tell me like crude jokes about women's body parts that's not sexual safety yeah so when i'm looking at safety it's not like you know <laughs> traffic safety no we're looking it's at like mind body and soul yeah mm -hmm. yeah and there you go you can have a healthy relationship now with those three elements respect trust and safety okay right because yeah. everything else will fall into place some people say loyalty well your dog can be loyal <laughs> yeah Right. You want loyalty, get a dog, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much we can create framework. Yeah. But I, it's just like, it's astounding how every, but the thing with domestic abuse, I think is it's also intertwined in different things. You know, it's like, you can't separate this from this, from this, you know? So it just feels like such a big such a big task like how do you especially as someone like this is what you dedicate your life to like how do you feel like what do you think will actually allow you to impact more people and be able to not just educate them on what already is happening but also how do we slowly over time because this is going to take a long time and I think it really starts with rehabilitating um, men to begin with, I think a lot, obviously, like you said, the percentage of male shooters is, and I think it's white male shooters is the, the highest. It's like what, 70 or 75%. I just heard something like that. And it's, it's, what do we need to do to, to start mending that? We need to pay attention to what's happening in our own family mm -hmm. and not just let it happen, but speak up. Mm -hmm. And maybe you are going to be the black sheep of the family or the brown sheep of the family or the pink sheep of the family. I don't know. But you might stop getting invited to family functions if you speak up. But at least you're speaking up because it's not going to happen under my watch. I brought this up last week on our podcast. I don't know what we were talking about, but something made me say, you know, about like growing up in, my, in the environment. And then when I left my ex, my mom told me that I should give him another chance mm -hmm. and I said mm -hmm. well maybe I can talk to Marissa about this because yeah, you were saying that her, 
her value was in like your marriage over your safety. Yes. Wow. It's yeah. incredible how many times I've heard that in, in so many, many different ways, not just the way that you planted it. I'm sorry that your mom said that to you because that is putting you in danger and putting you in harm and not having that support of somebody as huge as a representation of who's supposed to take care of you and nurture you as your mother, that just throws you back into the abuse. Um, th there's something about victim survivors who open up for the first time, okay? They might say, hey, mommy, this is what's been happening in my life. And as soon as that window shuts, that victim may not tell another person again. Yeah. Well, and we were talking too about your mom and how it was probably hard for her to admit what was happening to you because it was happening, happening to, to her, her and she hadn't broke the cycle. And yeah. it's like, I sucked it up and I, I, I dealt with it and I kept our family together and you're going to do the same thing. Yeah. And absolutely. Absolutely. Kiara. Yes. Yes. Annie, I agree with both of you. There are so many barriers to breaking up and leaving an abusive relationship and there's multiple reasons for every victim, but every reason or reasons for every victim is legitimate to them. It makes sense to them. It may not make sense to you looking on the outside, but to them, it makes sense. Your mom, Yesenia, as many moms, um, especially your mom, comes from old school comes from not only old school, but different traditional beliefs, different religious beliefs. And you add all of that up into this belief system that it is my cross to bear and I'm the glue and I'm going to keep the family together. So what does that mean? It means that you as her daughter had a responsibility to keep that legacy going and how dare you not. Okay. And did your mom deep inside? No. This is wrong? Yeah, of course. She's no dummy. She has feelings. She knew your father was harming her. She knew what he was doing was hurtful. She hurt. She cried. She sobbed about it. But for her, in her lens, okay, the lens that she's wearing, she didn't see that out that a lot of us see because of the lack of resources for her. Now, are there resources that we can say, well, check this out? There's this place. They're going to help you. You get to leave and go into a shelter. They're going to give you clothing and food and shelter and a therapist and a kid's therapist and a legal advocate. Oh, and you're going to get all these resources and come on, let's go. What happens is that there's guilt. Okay. And there's voices in her head saying, you can't, you mustn't, you shouldn't. How dare you? So it's very complex. Leaving an abusive relationship is not like, well, just make the decision. Okay. Have you all ever tried to make a decision of ending a friendship with someone? Have you ever ended a friendship? Yeah, me too. I ended a friendship. I was 18 years old when I met one of my bestest friends and we partied hard together and it was great and beautiful. And she showed me a lot of things about being feminine. But then, you know, in my thirties, I was like, well, that relationship is stuck. I'm, I'm evolving and maybe she's evolving, but not at the same pace or she's going that way, I'm going this way. I don't want to be friends with her no more. Let me talk to people I care about. Hey, mom, what do you think? I'm thinking about ending my relationship with this person. Yeah, it's a good idea. Hey, daughter, what do you think? Yeah, okay. Hey, did it. 
imagine trying to end a relationship with a man that's harming you, has harmed you for who knows how long years, 10 years, 20 years. Yeah. Who do you talk to about that? And then the people that you talk to about that say, well, it's your cross to bear. But the reality is that by the time you get there, there, if the person has succeeded in doing what they want to do and controlling you, you don't have anybody around you anymore. Nope, you don't. Yeah. They isolated you from their friends and family. Or, mm-hmm. Like in, in my case, I isolated myself. Like the only person that I I knew I could I couldn't hide from was from my sister. So I avoided calling my sister because if I talked to her on the phone and she said, sis, how are you? I knew I wouldn't be able to lie to her. She would hear it in me. You know, so I, I isolated big time. That I'm glad you said that. Yesenia, I was going to say, Miha, because that's something that we do, okay? It's, it's something that we do. I've also had victim survivors say to me, one of my bestest friends in the world, like my, my sister friend, you know, like that one person that you get a same tattoo with, you know, matching tattoos. One of my best friends, Rasta, she was in an abusive relationship. And the reason I can say it is because she just spoke in one of my trainings where you lose yourself mm-hmm. so much that you actually start to believe that you are who he says you are. And you, and you don't have worth. Yeah. No vas encajar. You're not going to ground that, that that niche where you used to belong that you can't fit in that niche anymore so you pull away from that crowd that family that friend in order not to be like so obvious about how much you have changed right so the barriers in leaving are multiple there's so many and every barrier even if we don't believe it to be the truth even if we're not religious if they say i'm going to go to a place called hell if i leave but obviously, we know not your hell already. Yeah. Yeah. But they think they're going to burn for all eternity yeah. if they break up, if they leave, if they get a divorce. Mm-hmm. It's not our place to say and judge. It's our place to ask them, what are the barriers in leaving? Never, never ask a victim of domestic violence, why don't you just leave? Mm-hmm. Okay. Ever. Yeah. Don't that's say like words. Captain Obvious, like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so when we were talking about ending a relationship, how must the victim feel when she's, okay, feelings, 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 when you're in an abusive relationship, you're familiar with those feelings, I am too, confusion, sadness, irritability, anger, oof, we can just go. What about physical illness? Because that was when I was the most sick in my life. I had cold after cold. I had bronchitis for the first time in my life. And it was not a, I mean, now I look at it and go, how did I not realize it was all connected? Right? Yeah. You're a medical mystery at at that point. You're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Nobody knows. It's, yeah, it manifests because, okay, stress is really good for us, isn't it? I love stress because stress is like, oh, I got to get, I meet that deadline. Oh, that report is due by midnight. Oops, sent the report. Oof, stress is gone. Oh, I feel so much better. But if that stress continues, then it becomes chronic stress. Chronic stress. stress has actually led to many different types of cancers. And autoimmune diseases, which... Absolutely. <laughs> and you were talking earlier, Yesenia, about the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study from Kaiser Permanente and the CDC. Clearly, that study has already linked... The number one killer in the United States of America, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, asthma, to childhood experiences, which domestic violence, I'm sorry, adverse childhood experiences, domestic violence is one of them, right? 
So, yeah. Oh, and also, um, um, Kiara, going back a little bit, everybody, to when you were talking about, like, um, I think it was you, Kiara, who was talking about, like, high school, um, school shootings and mass shootings, right? The biggest mass shooting in the history, her story of Orange County, California, happened because of domestic violence. But if you were to read it in the news, you would never hear the words domestic violence. But it happened at the Meritage Salon in Seal Beach, California, where a man killed eight people, including his wife who wanted to leave him, who'd already left him, wanted a divorce. But there was such a long history, her story of domestic violence. Why is that not, that's not like the headline, okay? What do, and, and they're linking this now. This is now a link through studies. Mass shootings has been linked directly to domestic violence. In most mass shootings, okay, so the mass gets shot and killed. Who else gets killed? Do you all know? Do you, have you ever, who? No? Well, well, like, think of a mass shooting, and then you leave that crowd, the people that unfortunately were killed. But in the person who was a shooter, who they else? themselves. And who else? You, so, so, I, so I invite you to do some research on this. Okay. They also have killed a woman in their life. Oh, Either I actually just heard about this. Yeah, they normally know. they shoot like the one that um, happened in Texas. Mm -hmm. He shot his grandmother before he went to the one shot. Yeah. Either before or after they're uh -huh. killing a woman in their life. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. So they've actually linked domestic violence to mass shootings already. Wow. They're linking domestic violence. Okay, so strangulation. We, in the batter intervention program, we do three weeks on a strangulation, okay? I need to go back and take that one. <laughs> what is it? I said I need to go back and take that one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big one. I recommend that I do that because I feel like I've done a certain amount of trauma work already around that but i've never gone deep into it and i don't know if i'm ready to like fully open that back up but you were the first one to correct me on that uh many years ago when i told you what the situation was and you corrected me it's not choking he did not choke you he strangled you wow i don't even remember correcting you wow mm -hmm. choking is when the airway is obstructed with a foreign object and then somebody does the high, like, right? It's totally different than strangulation. And that's why we have to be very careful with the words that we use, right? Um, after reading the four agreements and really learning how my words could really impact and how I'm, I'm representing a whole movement of nonviolence, right? I'm an ambassador of peace for Pete's sake. You know, when the Orange County Violence Prevention Coalition said that I was going to get this award, I was like, yay, woo, oh my goodness, I'm going to wear a feather in my hair and people are going to know I'm indigenous and all. Oh, and then I stopped and went, whoa, hold on. Okay, wait, ambassador of peace? Oh boy, I don't think I can represent it. I still cuss people out on the road. And I'm, <laughs> I'm always flipping somebody off that cut me off. I don't think I can do this. But that award made me lick, like lick. <laughs> it made me lick. It made me look deep inside of myself and figure out what does peace mean to mm. me? How do I show up in the world as a peaceful warrior? And can I do this? So that so felt I, like an extra level of responsibility that you felt yeah. you had to do now. Yeah, because I looked at the list of people and I was like, oh boy, okay, like th those people have already received this award. So now I have to be at that level and I have to represent something now. Like it's not just like I got a Buddha bumper sticker in the back of my car because I wanted 
to not be so aggressive in my driving. So I thought, well, I got to represent Buddha, but now I got to represent peace. Oh, man. <laughs> I accepted it, right? So I think one of the questions we can ask ourselves in intimate relationships is how am I showing up for my partner, right? How do I show up? Yes, we talked about arguing. Arguments don't happen in domestic violence, okay? Arguments happen in healthy relationships. Arguments happen in the courtroom. Your attorney is going to argue your case and that attorney is going to argue their case. Arguments happen in debates. You know, remember high school debate club? Arguments. But arguments don't happen in domestic violence. In domestic violence, it's one person yelling, one person screaming, one person demanding. Okay, so it's not we can't we can't use the word argument in domestic violence. It's very complex domestic violence. It's not black or white. And you know the Fifty Shades of Grey. I wish I would have patented that because I used to say domestic violence is like Fifty Shades of Grey. When you go to like Home Depot, try to pick a gray for your wall. You can't say, oh, Yesenia's case is the same as Kiara's case. Kiara's case is the same as Marissa's case. No, there could be similarities. And I think that's what I, 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 I'm going to ask you your question, Yesenia. I think if spirit is calling you, if you're, if you're being pulled to a learning more and getting more into in depth with getting reacquainted with what you learned in the personal empowerment program, why not? Will it open open up wounds? Yes. But we're a society that likes to put a Band-Aid on a bleeding heart. So we need to really open that wound and see like, well, I'm at, that's the thing, you know, I'm at that stage where I'm done. I'm done trying to like baby the wounds. I ripped it open with, uh, well, first with mushrooms and then ayahuasca. So I'm like, I'm exposed. I feel like what a better time to just dive in when, than when I'm already really in the thick of it. Like this is yeah. the reality of who I am and what has made me me. So why not better understand it, even yeah. if it's going to be hard? I agree. And a lot of like my private clients, so I'm coaching clients how to get out safely. We do assessments. We do safety plans. We we actually gauge the lethality risk factor. Okay, you can't break up. Guess what? He's going to kill you for sure 100% right now because we just did this, you know, questionnaire. So please don't break up, you know? So I'm, I'm having private clients that we're talking about. And then I'm having private clients that are ready to date again. And boy, they're dating. And then they tell me about the date. And I'm like, well, do you think that's a red flag? Yeah, I do. I'm like, good. Yes, it is. Right? As so- a professional in what you're doing, how do you do this one-on-one work? And it's so real. How do you do this and take care of yourself and your, your mental health? Yeah, I love that. So I have my own mental health professional that I go to and I've all I've had one for years and years. And I also have a lot of like self care techniques, you know, I, I don't know if you if you remember. But yes. So um, you can beat up your African drums. You can play your ukulele. You can go roller skating. Nature is one of my favorite healing. I mean, nature, all you have to do is look up at the sky. There, you're in nature. <laughs> you don't have to go very far. I do that all the time. <laughs> right? The moon is healing for me. The sun, oh, but everybody's like, oh, where's the shade? No, I'm like, oh, vitamin D. That's us too. <laughs> chanting. I started chanting 2016, 2017, full on. The first thing that comes out of my mouth in the morning is a chant. I'm chanting in the morning. Um, chanting has helped me because I, I used to I used to put chanting like YouTube videos and just during the day when I was home and over there on Holyoke when I used to live in Aliso Viejo. 
And I used to look at the chanters and I would be like, what, what drug are they on? Are they high? What are they on? Because they are like, he's smiling. <laughs> and they're just like, like, and now you're that chantress? Huh? And now you're the chantress? Doing yeah, this? Grin. You know, they were grinning and I'm like, God, like, wow. <laughs> so then I would start chanting along with them. And then before you know it, I looked, had that grin on my face and I'm like, oh, it happened. I have done recently like, a deep dive into your vagus nerve and like how to regulate it. And they say like humming that vibration mm-hmm. and chanting just like is so good for it's your nervous system. It's so amazing. I did a lot of it in Kundalini yoga. And that was the first time I ever felt like crazy shit happening within me that I didn't know was happening. It's natural. But it's like, if you think about all the different cultures, they all have some form of like that releasing thing. And it's like, and then we all came to America and lost that. But if you look back at everybody's heritage, there's something that does that for your body. And it's ceremonial, it's regular. And it's crazy how we just lost that as we've definitely just... Do you have a favorite chant that you go to? Yes, I do. Do you want me to say it to you? I would love it if you would. The one that I wake up to every morning. Shiva, 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 Shambho. Shiva, 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 Shambho. Shiva, 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 Shambho. Shiva, 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 Shambho. Mahadeva, Shambho. Mahadeva, Shambho. Mahadeva, Shambho. Mahadeva Shambho. And then you repeat. Shiva, 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 so Shambho. what does that mean in Sanskrit? Well, Shiva is a Hindu god, goddess, right? And um, basically it's, it's, it's like if you don't even think about it as a religious thing. Think about it as your god, your um, creator, your great spirit. And you're just calling on to that great spirit to come into your into your life, right? As a reminder that you are also the divinity. You are also a spark of the divinity you're part of. So looking at everybody as everybody is God in drag is a really good, you know, we're just, everybody's God. I love (laughs) (laughs) I know, Yesenia, you remember, but I used to wear a third eye, like a bindi. I remember. My bindi, every Friday after work, I'd put on my bindi. would be like, why are you wearing a 50? <laughs> For me, it was like where I was really connecting with my third eye one and where I was trying to remind myself that, yes, that person's rubbing me the wrong way. Yeah, but there's a reason why they're saying those stupid jokes and why they're being mean deep, deep down inside. They've been harmed and hurt. So see them as a, as a, as a being of the divine. and Like that's their lesson today. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing that. Of course, my pleasure. Wow. I'm so glad you invited me. I mean, we could stay forever, honestly. Yeah, I've talked yeah. about <laughs> we just got on to spirituality. <laughs> we segued into spirituality, which I think is, for me, has been the savior for a lot of the trauma that I have experienced in my life. And it's it seems, for me, it feels like the most... Um, like It's like the warm hug that I wanted as a like consolation that I never got. Now I feel like I'm giving it to myself. Every, every time I show up to yoga, every time I show up to my morning meditation, every time I show up when it's hard to go to therapy, every time I show up, I am giving myself that hug I need, you know? And it's okay to give you like real hugs. You know, like I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm very alone in a different country and I love it. It's my choice. It's my dream. But giving yourself a real hug, like where you're basically going, you know, like as far as you can. And then another one over here and then putting your, putting your cheek on your own shoulder and sobbing if you need to and crying and weeping if you need to. That's, that's what wonders for me because we all need a human touch. I'm a human. I can touch mm-hmm. whatever I am. I'm touching myself. And, you know, just watching you do that brings to mind, like, how when we watch our kids have meltdowns, you know, what do they do? They close in mm-hmm. and they touch themselves. So it's, like, really just reverting to childlike behavior where it's pure, right? Like, you're just you're just feeling that need of what you need in that moment. And that tantrum is actually what you need in that moment, <laughs> you know? But we also, adults throw tantrums. Kids throw tantrums because they can't speak. They can't right. say leave me alone. You're bothering me. They can't say, I don't like that food. They can't say, I'm not sleepy. I want to play. So they throw tantrums. Yeah, but yeah. We throw tantrums, but we still have language. Let's use language. And stuff. Right. But, yeah. Well, we're definitely going to have to have you back on for another, yeah, we love we're going to have to do one just on gaslighting. And then we're going to have to do one just on. I'm going to send you. <laughs> I'm gonna, yes, of course. I'm going to send you a podcast that I did with one of my friends, Guillermo da Silva Montemayor. Who um, he has a podcast called Meet Therapia. He's a marriage and family therapist. He's one of my favorite people on the planet. But we both talked about that topic that you brought up earlier, the adverse childhood experiences study. It's in Spanish, so you have to translate or um, interpret to Kiara. So I'll send it to you. So maybe we can pick up that topic. It's one of my favorite topics. Okay, in the deepest well that book or you I read the book you did the audiobook yeah it doesn't matter as long as we're gaining knowledge so I guess if we if we had to leave your 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 listeners with one final because I have a final question yeah. but, no you tell me that and then I'm no, gonna I, 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 I want to hear your question no, I want to hear yours and then I'll finish yeah, them. just that you're not alone and that you can always, always reach out to, if you're in Orange County, LA County, San Bernardino County, it's just the number 211. That's it, 211. That's it. You reach out to them. They give you a resource that's local to you. You're not alone. We believe you, Kiara and Yesenia and I, we believe you. You're not alone. You're yeah. never alone, okay? Yeah, thank yeah, you. Tell me your question. I love okay, questions. So I like to ask our, our guests one question, and that is, what advice would you give our listeners to live their most unfiltered life? Mm. I love that question, but I don't like to give advice. Okay. I'll tell you yeah. why. <laughs> I don't like to give advice because I'm not walking in your moccasins. I'm not walking your, in your waraches, your vans, your wedges, <laughs> <laughs> all of the above. So I don't, I can't give you advice, but in order to Word live in another- wisdom, yeah, unfiltered life for me, like on a very personal level, is to be gentle with yourself. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Be gentle with yourself, mm. just like I'm you are with your kids, just like you are with your boss. You're so gentle with your boss. Be gentle with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm my own boss, so I'm not very gentle with my own boss. That's why you have to be gentle. You have to be gentle with you. See, because yeah, you're. Why- I'm gonna. I'm picking that up and I'm taking it because it. Yeah, be gentle. Be gentle with yourself because we're all doing the best we can. And uh, one more little piece of advice is to remember to self care, whatever that means to you. Okay, whatever that means to you, just self care. 
and it's okay to cry. And if you cry, I'm going to advise you to stand up. This is the one piece of advice I will give. Stand up when you cry. Let the tears flow all the way down to your feet. Water your roots. Your roots will become stronger. And if you have boogers, let them flow because the booger would be like the fertilizer of okay. those roots. Okay? I love so that. Cry. I love that. I love that. It's good. Thank you so much for Thank this. You. It was so nice to talk to you. I I feel like I have to process this whole. I know. (laughs) You are a goddess and you're so full of information and you're so, the way you deliver it, you really, I mean, Dr. Nadia saw something in you and it wasn't for no reason. So thank you for seeing that in me. Because you were in the ground in the trenches and you're rough and you cuss that it really resonates, I think, for a lot of people. So if it was coming from some straight edge person, it may not land you know like yeah i love being rough around the edges and i feel feel that from both of you too so i i I did i did most of the talking because i was invited as a guest but thank you both i look forward to joining you again anytime i wish all of you peace love and harmony thank you so much marissa talk to you soon bye you guys Bye. bye